Welcome back to another episode of Bodies by Brent podcast. I am your host, Brent Ruska. And on today's episode, we have Mary Osborne giving us a practical guide to dealing with dementia. On TikTok, I've been exploring all these different dementia TikToks. It's interesting watching family members take care of other family members who are experiencing dementia. I wanted to have Mary on because I wanted to understand the different stages of dementia. What is dementia? why it develops, what are some of the signs and symptoms, and how to help your family member, if they're going through dementia, have the best experience, have the best quality of life as this disease progresses. And everything and anything I could possibly think of to get a better understanding of this disease. So I want you to be able to walk away from this episode having a very good understanding of what dementia is, what to look for, and how to care for yourself and your family member if they are going through dementia. Guys, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. This podcast is all about helping you create the life, the fitness, and the wellness that you most desire. This life is very short, it's very precious, and I want you to experience it to the fullest, the most you can. Please like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. It helps so much. Thank you for being here. And I will see you at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Enjoy. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, I'm super excited to learn all about dementia. <laughs> yeah. But I first want to know, how did you get into occupational therapy and dementia and all of this? Yeah. So I graduated from LSU with a bachelor's in kinesiology. And then I went on to get my master's in occupational therapy from LSU. And then my first job out of school was working in a skilled nursing facility with a lot of dementia patients, actually. And I started to see that, you know, while I was in this work with occupational therapy, I was like, wow, like, this is something that I really enjoy doing. I love treating my patients and I just love seeing that I can help people in a different kind of way and focusing on the abilities that somebody has with their different stages of dementia. And it was so intriguing to me because when I first started, I honestly had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I started to like research more, learn more about dementia care. And I was just so fascinated about it. And I really saw the change that I could bring about when I focused on people's abilities at each stage that they were in. And it was really cool to see um, just how I could increase someone's quality of life through the care that I was providing. Is that what, so that, is that what occupational therapy is? So occupational therapy. So um, we focus on like meaningful occupations and um, something that you'll hear a lot in the world of occupational therapy are the terms ADL and IADL. Okay. And ADLs are the activities of daily living. So your basic activities you do as part of your daily routine. So like your bathing, dressing, self-feeding, grooming, hygiene, and thinking about all the ways that we can maximize independence with these tasks. And another term that we, you, you'll hear of is IADLs, which are the instrumental activities of daily living. Hmm. So this would include things like um, the higher level tasks that you do as part of your routine. So your finances, your medication management, your community outings, cooking, cleaning. And so our role in occupational therapy is when we do our evaluation on our residents, we see what areas they need help with, what they're still able to do, and then we make a treatment plan from there. Oh, that's that's super in depth. Yeah, you're very involved with an individual. <laughs> yes, yeah, it for seems sure. like it could be super rewarding. Yeah. Yes, I love it. Yeah. How long? So how long have you been doing it? I can't remember. What so you said. for ten years. Ten years. Yeah. You've probably seen a lot and learned yes. a lot. Yes. So 
talk to me. What is dementia exactly? <laughs> and is Alzheimer's the same or is it? I've, that's everyone's first question. <laughs> <laughs> I, everyone's yeah. like, is dementia Alzheimer's? Um, so dementia is just a general term that we use when one is experiencing different symptoms that interfere with communication skills and thinking skills and other cognitive related skills. And whenever these symptoms become severe enough to start impacting everyday life, then the term dementia is used. And Alzheimer's is actually, you'll hear this a lot because it's actually one of the most common types of dementia. Okay. So it's like 60 to 80% of cases. And this is the case. Alzheimer's is what I see most frequently. Most frequently. <laughs> yeah. So what else can you see under the dementia umbrella? Yeah. So there's over a hundred different types of dementia. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So there's so many different types. So there's um, Alzheimer's, like I said, which is the most common. You'll see vascular dementia, frontotemporal dementia, Lewy body dementia. I mean, the there's so many different types and it's, you know, the symptoms that you'll see with each type will vary just depending on the type, depending on the stage, depending on the individual. Interesting. So it's so complex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's a lot of different ways. Yeah. So what's common in an Alzheimer's patient or can it vary in yeah. that realm as well? Yeah. So actually, so one of the most common things that I see with Alzheimer's, um, the in the beginning stages, I'll see short term memory loss. And this can look like the person repeating the same question over and over again. So you might hear them say, what day is today? And then five minutes later, they'll ask the same thing um, or misplacing their items because they can't remember where they put them. So or putting these items in random places um, or odd places around the home that you wouldn't, you know, necessarily think to put these places in because they just can't remember yeah. where they placed them. Yeah. So those are like two of them. I think short term memory loss is something really common that I see. Um, and then also um, visual spatial skills. So getting lost when it comes to going to familiar places. So let's say that they're used to going to the person who's living with Alzheimer's is used to going to the same church, you know, for their entire life. And, you know, you're noticing they're having difficulties with getting home from church. So very interesting. Are there yeah. are there stages, defined stages? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So this gets so complicated. So yeah. in the world of therapy and um, with neurologists and other, you know, primary care physicians, the way that we stage dementia, there's so many different tests and ways to stage it. But I like to keep things simple <laughs> and kind of go with how the World Health Organization categorizes it. And okay. they categorize it into mid early, middle, and late stage dementia. Okay. And um, most commonly, like in the earlier stages, you'll find that the individual who's living with dementia is having difficulties performing those IADLs that I mentioned. So those higher level tasks, the medication management, the finances, the community outings, the cooking, the cleaning. And um, yeah, and in the middle stages, you'll notice that the person is having more difficulty with the ADL. So their basic activities of daily living they might need more help with their dressing and their bathing. They might be more reluctant to perform these tasks. Um, and in the later stages, um, you'll you'll find that the individual needs help in all aspects of care. So they'll need help with the IDLs, the ADLs. And with each stage, though, I never try to focus on the stage of dementia. I always look at the individual and what they're presenting with and how I can help them and and where they are and treat those symptoms and just kind of help maximize their quality of life. Yeah. And before I want to go into like preventative <laughs> yeah. and uh, things you can do, um, I know, I imagine that you've developed 
strategies for helping people cope and maybe yeah. slow progress in each stage. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's kind of what you specialize in. Yeah. 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 So I'd love to hear like early stages, you know, and if you're experiencing these symptoms or you've been told by a doctor, you know, you have Alzheimer's. Yeah. What are good ways to begin to manage it and then also prepare for later stages? Yeah, for sure. So I think it's always a great idea to kind of know where the individual is when it comes to the stages. So like in the early stage, you might have somebody that is first diagnosed and they're still aware and they want to learn more and they want to see, you know, what should I know what to do as it progresses and what should I know now? Um, and I think one of the most important things is, is to um, in the earlier stages, it's like getting the financials and legal stuff in place because as dementia progresses, I find that the individual might be more reluctant to have somebody help with these sorts of things. So um, in the earlier stages, I definitely think it's, you know, if the person who is aware of their diagnosis, then having a talk with their family member about um, different systems that they can put in place where they're experiencing difficulties in. Are they having, are they aware that they're having difficulties with their medication management or their finances? Are they not aware of this? Are you the family member having to find this out by either living with the person who, who's living with dementia or visiting them, you might see that, you know, the bills are piling up, they're not getting paid, or the medications are being um, put in the pill organizer incorrectly. So I think it's, you know, like I said, if they're aware, having that conversation with them of the things that they're needing help with to put systems in place. And maybe if they're not aware, coming up with different approaches to figure out how you can go in and help them. Wow, very interesting. And there are there things with someone with early Alzheimer's they can do to slow progress or it's just not really up to you? Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, I mean, there are medications that, out there that help treat the symptoms, but there's no cure for Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, if it's a diagnosis of MCI, which is mild cognitive impairment, there are things that you can do at the MCI stage um, that can help slow the progression to dementia, but you do still have like a three to five times um, more likely chance of MCI developing into dementia. But once it's dementia, um, it's really focusing on letting that person do as much as they can in the stage of dementia that they're in and helping them where they need help with, and maybe trying to modify activities that they've once participated in that they're having difficulties with and just supplying them with the support and assistance necessary. Got it. Well, having worked with people for 10 years, have yeah. you noticed certain lifestyle factors that slow or increase the speed in which they progress? Or have you seen people that are like super healthy and they progress way faster and someone who doesn't really take care of themselves just like progresses slow? Does it, how much does that play in or, that is, you know, just from you viewing your, you know, not based on any studies, just your experience. You know, that is so interesting and something that I've actually never really thought about. Because I feel the, like that's the thing you can control the most. Yes, for is, sure. You know, sunlight, community, Jeez. fitness, yes. you know, happiness, those things, right? Yes, for sure. And, you know, from my experience, I find that I've had people who were super successful in their work and exercised every day and somehow, you know, they still have this diagnosis of dementia. Um, but I mean, that being said, there are ways to kind of not to slow down, you know, to prevent, not to prevent, sorry, Whoops. prevent, prevent. <laughs> I know what you're saying. You're saying like prevent the speed in which it develops. Yes. Yes. Right? So like exercise. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
um, good exercise. Sleep. Yeah. Do you notice people more family around it does better or more what family around or community or um. I would say like, so whenever I see someone who's living with dementia, I've already seen them with that diagnosis mm -hmm. and looking back at their past history and like what they've done, I don't really see like a correlation, I guess I could say. Like it's anywhere from like, you know, people who were super successful in their work to people who might have, you know, not had, you know, who have not worked or I don't know. I feel like it. Yeah, that's interesting whenever I think about that. And then for in the beginning stages for yeah. family members, yeah. do you have any advice or support or thoughts that you share with them yes. when like they first learn as well? Yeah. How do they prepare? Yes, for sure. So I would say just having that talk with your individual who is being di who has that diagnosis of dementia and um, seeing what ways you can support them, having that conversation with them of, like I said, putting like the power of attorney or like the legal stuff in place now because I always think that's a good idea so later on it just it's not like you're not in crisis when you're like oh shoot I should have done this yeah. you know um so yeah just just having that talk with the individual and seeing where you can best support them in the process and also like communicating with the healthcare providers too, asking if it's the neurologist who diagnosed the person which is typically the case seeing um, what their recommendations are. And I'm a big proponent of therapy, of course. So I'm always like, okay, yeah. if you notice any sort of decline, which you will, because dementia is progressive, meaning that the symptoms are going to get worse over time, you're going to have to um, help that individual in with their IDLs, their IED, their IDLs, their ADLs as dementia progresses. Um, so when this occurs or when you notice them having experiencing a decline, talk to the doctor, get an order for occupational or physical therapy. This is so important because they can really help provide the family members and the person who's living with dementia with guidance and suggestions and ways to modify the home for to make it safer. And it's like a personal trainer for dementia. <laughs> yes. It's super. Yeah. You're yes. getting it customized to for sure your path and you're going to need to develop that in the beginning. Yeah. With the person with Alzheimer's and not so that you have a strategy in place that are, everyone's already comfortable with. Yes. Because imagine sure. it'd be very challenging once you're in later stages. Yes. And the person's really confused and the other person's, you know, it's already a lot to handle. And yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. For so then sure. when you move to uh, stage two, remind me of kind of more of the symptoms they experience again and uh, yeah. what you like to have, uh, you know, tools you like to provide the patient and the family. Yeah. So in the middle stages of dementia, um, I noticed that the person who's living with dementia is going to need almost full assistance with those ideals. So the finances, the medication management, and um, as far as the ADLs, they're going to need assistance when it comes to their bathing, their dressing, their hygiene. And some things that I've noticed is the assistance level can vary from physical assistance. So I'm actually helping them with the task. I'm giving them written directions on the order to perform the task. Um, I'm giving them verbal instructions. Okay, like if it's transferring off and on the toilet, put your hands here. I'm making my directions simple. Um, something to something that I do in the middle stages too, and something that I would I would say this is for middle stage dementia. Um, when presenting someone with questions, oftentimes I'll hear, you know. You staff members, family members, even healthcare professionals do this at times, but asking the person who's living with dementia an open-ended question like, um, 
what do you want to wear today? And at that stage, they might not be able to formulate a response to that question. So in the middle stage, I, you know, I phrased my questions to be a close-ended question. So would you like to wear this blue shirt or this black shirt? And I might even hold up the different shirts so they can choose from. And really, this does depend on the individual. So I always assess and see what they're able to do, and then I'll go from there. So not saying that like everyone will need this sort of assistance, but generally speaking, this is this is something common that I do see. Um, and with my consulting company now, so I've had all this experience from over the years. So when I send my intake forms over to family members, um, I have a bunch of questions that will kind of help me understand where their loved one is at in the stage of dementia and what the family members' concerns are so I can further address those concerns and kind of combine my education and what I've done over these past years and now train caregivers and family members on these different strategies that I've used that I've found success with. That's cool. And you're developing a course right now, right? Yeah, yeah. What's the course going to be called? Oh, well, oh my gosh. I haven't even thought of a name for this now. <laughs> I'm so busy creating all the content for it. Yeah. No, it's just going to be like a general overview of dementia. And um, I think it's going to be important because it's going to talk about the difference between um, normal aging, mild cognitive impairment, dementia. I'm going to go through a few different types. I'm going to keep it very basic and um, different stages of dementia. And I'm going to list out just different things that symptoms that I've noticed over the years and how we can support someone with those symptoms, if that makes sense. And then also um, different approaches that I've used over the years that I feel need more education and awareness in general. And that can be something like I always say, enter that person's reality, because oftentimes, um, you know, you'll see if the person living with dementia is asking about their husband who died years ago. And they're like, well, you know, in your reality that your reality is this person's no longer alive. But in their reality, this person is alive. And, you know, they're wondering where they are. And the last thing that I'm going to do is orient them to my reality and tell them that person is no longer here. So we have to come up with creative ways and approaches to kind of enter their reality and, um, you know, give them a meaning, sense of meaning and purpose with where they're at. Well, what's one creative way to enter their reality? <laughs> so if they're asking about their husband, I, like, would be like, I hear it. Well, I agree. <laughs> I love, I watch a lot of TikToks with people yeah. with dementia. Yeah. And sometimes they'll, you know, a person will say like, I feel like I know you and the person will say like, well, you're my dad. And like, but do you want me to call you my dad? Oh, and I saw this one. Oh, you Actually, saw that yes, one? And I don't remember. It was really well done. Yeah, She did a great job yes, of interacting. So why was that good? Oh my gosh. Cause she just met him where he was at and she kind of, she asked him. Yeah. Can you recap how it went down? Gosh, I watched this video. This was probably like several weeks ago. And now I'm like, I just remember her asking him, um, because he was he wondering where he yeah, was he, wondering if he if yeah, he, he was her. He's like, I, I feel like I know you. I have like a heart uh, connection with you. Yeah. And she's like, we do know each other. Sure. You're like, you're my dad. But do you feel comfortable? Something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. Do you feel comfortable calling me your dad? And then he's like, I feel like I know her. Uh, and that yeah. was his wife, I think. So she was just kind of asking him like what his thoughts were and kind of yeah. including him in the process, which was really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, yeah, that was very cool. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So if they're, if they're asking like where their loved one is at, maybe I'll say, okay, oh, you know, 
Bob, tell me a little bit about him. Oh yeah, he used to be a mailman. You told me all about him. And then kind of like lead them to, you know, maybe we can go see a picture of them and talk about that. And then eventually maybe engage in a different activity. Cause at that point I find in the middle stages, um, they might forget that they just asked that. So then engaging them in activity afterwards will probably be meaningful for them as well. Very cool. Yeah. Is there is there a timeline of how quickly things progress typically? Oh, or is it so? Everyone is so different. Really? You know, yeah. I would say... Um, I would say like the middle stages tend to last the longest, but it really just depends on the individual. And I really... I. I hate like staging it too because I'm so focused on treating the symptoms and like where that person is and how I can. So it's like no stages really exist, right? Well, I like it to just give a general understanding of like where that person might be and like what to expect as dementia progresses. But I'm so focused on the individual and what I can do to give them like a sense of meaning and purpose and kind of meet them where they're at and just make their life as good as possible. That's great. Yeah. And then moving into stage three, yeah. you know, what are some of the things you find that tend to be very helpful? So this is the point where they can't do much for themselves. Yeah. 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 And in the later stages, it's more focused on, um, well, typically in later stages, I will notice that the person who's living with dementia is in like a memory care facility or a long-term care facility where they're getting that 24 hour um, supervision and assistance, or they could be living at home where they have a hired caregiver that's there with them all the time. So basically the caregivers at that stage in dementia are providing that individual with full-time assistance and helping them with all these basic activities and also obviously managing all of those IADLs. So something really meaningful to focus on in the later stages is thinking of like how we can incorporate sensory stimulation in our approach. So reading them a book, maybe going through a photo album and you know, reminiscing of these old memories that they had and like talking to them about it, holding their hand, um, taking them outside if there's any way, if they if they can get up into a chair and this is the perfect opportunity if they are in the bed a lot, maybe get an order for occupational or physical therapy and see if they can figure out a solution to this to get them up and get them some fresh air and enjoy the outdoors and just um, playing their favorite music. These are all things that I like to do in the later stages. Yeah. What yeah. are some frustrations that family members can experience that you might have guidance on? Yeah. So a lot of times actually I had a client the other week who was telling me that, um, you know, my husband just won't call the kids. He just, he just won't do it. And I'm like, well, have you called the kids with him around? She's like, yeah. And I was like, well, how did it go? She's like, awesome. Like he really enjoyed talking to the kids. And I was like, you know, this could be due to dementia causing damage to the area of the brain that impacts initiation. So it's not like that. He's not wanting to do these tasks. It's that he needs your help with starting the task. So if you start the task, he's able to participate in it and he really enjoyed it. And she's like, wow, I never thought about it like that. So it's just different things that sometimes throughout the call, it might not even be that person's main concern, but tackling some of these things while you know they're presented on the phone call can really just kind of you know be like an eye eye opening for that family member wow yeah that's very powerful <laughs> what are some other things you've discovered that are very helpful for people who are suffering from alzheimer's for people or for caregivers or family members or both <laughs> all three let's do it <laughs> 
So I would say for the person who's living with dementia, always focus on what they can do. So never underestimate this either. Like see what they're able to do and what can you do to provide the assistance and support in the areas where that they're not able to perform? So like if it's um, if they're in the earlier stages, if they're having difficulties with managing their medications, is there a way that you can go in there and figure out like, well, how why are they having difficulties with this? Is it that the pill organizer is too small? Should we get in a bigger pill organizer? Um, can I help them with this task in any way, but still allow them their independence of you know, helping out with putting the medications in the place. So kind of seeing like where where they need help with, but not taking over the task completely, still allowing them that independence and giving them the support when needed. So really being curious of like yes. what specifically is challenging. Yes. And not just fully taking over yes. or on the other other side of it, getting frustrated with them. Yes. I always say be a good listener and observer. Be a de- like, I feel like I'm a little detective when I go yeah. in there. I'm like, okay. Yeah, like, see what, what, are, what is the thing going yeah, on here? Yeah, I'm like, what What can you do? Like, let me see. So I always um, allow the person to do as much as they can. And when I see they're struggling with something, I'll like modify the activity or, you know, do whatever I can to help support them to where they're not getting frustrated yeah. too. Um, yeah. What's some <laughs> of your best advice for caregivers yeah. working with dementia patients? I, I always say focus on what the person who's able to do. And actually, I just posted a video the other day on Instagram that is like when if you're struggling with ever thinking of different activities to do with your loved one, always think back to familiar and functional. Um, what are some familiar things from their past that you can bring up? Um, what are some functional things that they can do? And I forgot to mention that in the middle stages of dementia, you know, these functional activities like folding clothes or sorting utensils, just different things that would be familiar with them, to them that they can participate in. I still do um, a little PRN work, so as needed work at a facility because I miss that direct treatment of patients. So mm-hmm. the other week I was having somebody who was living with dementia in the middle stages helping me like stuff envelopes and that just gave her meaning and purpose. So it's so cool to see when you focus on what that person is still able to do and give them an activity that they can succeed in. It's I was reading this book, um, Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty, yeah. And um they had this term in it and it was um oh shit, I just blanked on it. I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think I think I saw it. It's like moksha or muka, right? I literally just posted about this. I'm like, what? I'm having <laughs> like, a brain fart right now. <laughs> just disappeared on you. <laughs> oh my gosh, wait, now I'm gonna look this up because it's really Yeah, go for it. Me. Yeah, you can look at your phone. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, man. No, I saw I saw somebody. Mudita. That's what it is. Mudita. 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 It's like this unselfish joy. Do you mean to start that over? No, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) You're totally good. So I heard this term um, Mudita in Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. And it's like this unselfish joy that you experience when you see other people doing well. And I was like. I was reading it and I was like, this is exactly how I feel yeah. in the world of dementia care. Cause you know, you see what they can participate in and you see how you can still give them a sense of meaning in life. And it's really cool to see. And I feel like a lot of people, um, I was at a facility the other day um, where I'm trying to get, write some programs for them. So it's really cool. But um, I was talking to a support group there and one of the residents there, he actually has 
early onset dementia. And he was all about increasing awareness that life exists after this diagnosis. Yes, it's a terrible diagnosis, but like I'm still a person and I, you know, I want to spread awareness that I can still live my life, you know, focus on what I can do. And it was just really cool to see that residents who are diagnosed with dementia going out there spreading more awareness and education that you know to focus on like what they can do and see what they can do to further educate others that's super exciting yeah um coloring books you were talking about coloring (laughs) i know i'm all over the place no you're perfect (laughs) that's how i work anyways (laughs) so coloring books you're creating a coloring book so coloring books work well with dementia patients yes why they just, I feel like um, even in the, I would say in the later part of the early stage and the middle stage, they just really enjoy coloring. And in when it comes to coloring, you know, it's, it's good, A, for fine motor coordination. You know, this can help keep them mobile with their hands. And it can also, like when they're coloring, it can also bring up just different things from the past. So it's very nostalgic. So I'm designing actually this 1940s, 50s fashion coloring book with just like different fashion um, trends through the decades. Well, I'm designing it for a bunch of different decades. But anyways, but I thought it would be a great idea because not only can the person who's living with dementia color this, but they can, you know, it might spark a conversation. So you'll notice um, that they might bring up, oh yeah, I remember this from back in the day. And I've seen this a lot because I actually... In the middle stages, I feel like I'm all over the place because I didn't even mention this, but there's um, a picture book that I actually like to bring in for residents. And it's this big book of like beautiful pictures. Oh. And um, they love to just flip through it and talk about it. It might reminisce. They, you know, think about something from the past and they'd start talking about it like, oh, I remember this mountain from when I lived, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's really cool wow. to see. It's like these these things can just spark memories. And even though the person might not initiate conversations normally it's some of these sensory things that we're bringing in that can really help with sparking this communication so it's so awesome to see yeah so you if you're fearful you're losing them there's ways to kind of get reconnection of who they are yes i've had um i have you ever seen those simulated um pets like the dogs and cats no oh wow okay (laughs) i'll have to watch one of my videos is it like vr or what is it it's so cool so it's like um joy for all pets so they make this cat and dog and they roll over (laughs) it's crazy they bark they meow yeah it's yeah and residents love them i would say like in the moderate or the middle and later stages it's it's really cool to see maybe someone who isn't communicating much and they see that and they're like, I had one lady actually, and she didn't communicate a lot at all. But when I presented her with like either a baby doll or a dog, she would look at it and she would reach out her hands, even when she wouldn't really make that initiation to begin with, start petting it and be like, aren't you just the cutest thing I've ever seen? Or just start saying things that everyone's like, Oh, I've never even heard her really talk before. This is interesting. Yeah. So it's like the sensory stimulation really helps communication and it's yeah so i'm a big fan of like incorporating sensory elements into dementia care on the middle and later stages yeah so music and yeah, all those music. different yeah yeah you have any stories with someone hearing music and you've seen or oh you know so i actually there was this one patient that i'll always remember i put headphones on this person during a meal mm-hmm. and this person wouldn't initiate any use of the utensils at all bringing the spoon to her mouth but when the music was playing we found that she would literally bring the spoon to her mouth and start eating feeding herself and it 
it was wow it was really cool that's really interesting yeah any other things i should know about mm. occupational therapy dealing with dementia oh, dementia gosh. there are so many things but if i i would say like the biggest takeaways are always focus on abilities and um function and familiar and also make it fun <laughs> So, right. And building rapport. I, I do feel like rapport building with the individual who's living with dementia is so important. So um, if a family member is hiring a caregiver to come in there, not just, you know, expecting the caregiver to take over all of these things and helping the person with that, you know, you want to build rapport with everyone first and show that person this is someone we can trust. And whether that be, you know, telling the caregiver, family member or telling the caregiver um, different things about the person's past if they're unable to communicate that um giving them things to talk about with the person who's living with dementia and really build that relationship with them that seems yeah very important yeah because it's a fitness podcast i gotta know <laughs> what you do for your workouts oh yes yeah <laughs> i make sure to keep very active so i do crossfit monday wednesday friday and then i'll do some other form i'll do like personal training um maybe I'm kind of slacking on that. So maybe like once or twice a month. Okay. Um, and then I do um, other workouts like at Athletic Outcomes. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's great. But now I feel like I need you to train me <laughs> yeah, because I see all of your stuff. I see everyone on your podcast saying how awesome you are. Yeah. Come to a group class. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Try it out. Yep. Down in Oak Hill. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It'll be super fun. Okay. Give me one more thing that we didn't cover that you think is so vital to this whole conversation. Oh, gosh. Okay. What didn't we cover? We talked about different stages of dementia, okay. the I mean, symptoms they can experience, how to help kind of in each stage. Yeah. Um, Something that you've been really curious about lately and kind of diving into and just really interested in when it comes to all of this. Okay. Let me think about this one. Take your time. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any more to be. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I was just like talking so much about the no, most you're totally random fine. things. <laughs> Um, I would say, you know, the biggest thing from all of the comments and everything and all my messages on Instagram, I feel like I, the one thing that I want to communicate is that get a doctor and I know I've already said this, but I think this is super important, okay, yeah. but when you're experiencing trouble with, um, figuring out like what to do when your loved one maybe is having more episodes of incontinence or you're having more of a difficult time getting them dressed and you're noticing that they're experiencing this decline, please tell the doctor and um, see if they can order the occupational and physical therapy. I also wanted to mention too that diagnosis of dementia is like a super complex process. So there are so many things that can mimic the signs and symptoms of dementia. So um, if anyone is noticing any cognition change in their loved one, it's really important to contact the doctor, tell them about it, see if they can do any kind of lab test to kind of, you know, rule out any other thing that might be going on contributing to those symptoms. What is the process? Do you know much about yeah, so, how you get diagnosed? Yeah. So, you, you know, you would first see your primary care physician and then they would, they probably will do like a written cognitive test um, to see kind of like what's going on, but they're also going to do some lab tests. And um, if they really see a concern with everything after all the things that they're doing in their session, they're going to make that referral to probably most oftentimes a neurologist. 
And so, um, so yeah, I think the first step would be the primary care physician, and then they would make that referral to the neurologist. And then the neurologist would do a series of tests, order like the brain scans, and then also, you know, refer to other more intensive testing after that to get the diagnosis. So it typically, it's not just like one session, you get that diagnosis, it could be a few. And there's, you know, depending on the provider, there's different things involved. Do you know what's kind of the most common thing that mimics something close to it that's just not um, close to dementia? A lot of times, and this is why it's so important to see the primary care physician to order the lab test and the blood work and all that, because a UTI is one of the most common things I see, the urinary tract infection. I mean, in older adults, this can really look like dementia. Really? Yes. They become very confused. Yes, both. Oh. Yeah. So oftentimes you know that's so weird yes why, why is that I do you know, know. Okay. yes it's just that is just one of the most common things that i see where it just leads to so much confusion mm. and yeah i can really mimic the signs depression medication side effects so that is a big one as well stress i mean all of these things play a part and can mimic those symptoms so that's why i'm always like if you notice anything go see your doctor because they need to rule out everything and go immediately see what's yeah. going on yeah that's super cool okay yeah. how do we connect with you how do we find you how do we keep learning more yeah so you can find me on instagram or facebook or tiktok at your dementia therapist um you can email me mary at your dementia therapist.com um yeah. You can check out my website, yourdementiatherapist.com. Yeah. I have a bunch of articles on there. And if any family members or caregivers are needing some consulting, so if you are presented with a challenging situation with your loved one, you can always book um, a consulting session with me. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Mary, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Mary, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I learned a lot. Guys, it's very important to take care of your mind, your brain. And I think one of the most valuable things you can start to look over now for your health and well-being, and I think it is the foundation of all other things in your life, fitness, wellness, that is built on is your sleep. It wasn't until I got an aura ring that I realized how little sleep I was getting and sleep quality I was getting. Sometimes I was sleeping enough, but just the quality wasn't good or I wasn't actually sleeping long enough. And it's very hard to subjectively figure out what your quality is. And knowing your sleep is the most important thing. Even if you feel like you're getting pretty good sleep, it's good to track because you can get used to only getting six, six and a half hours where if you were to get seven and a half to eight hours, your mood, your performance, your hormones, things you're trying to create in your life will all improve drastically without any effort. They will just be different. So the most important thing you can do, the first fundamental thing you can do for your health, for your well-being, is getting your sleep figured out. Hands down. Don't focus on anything else until that is fucking A+. Plus. And it should be a minimum of seven, seven and a half to eight hours. The sleep book that I can't remember, it's written by somebody that's a uh, super sleep dude. He says that there, it's very rare, less than 5% of the population that 
human beings or people can sleep less than six hours and get adequate rest. Now you might get used to sleeping six hours and think you're doing a good job, but it's not okay. Seven and a half to eight hours is what the body needs. It's also important to track your sleep and see if you're bouncing out of REM sleep, whether you're taking an alcohol or too much caffeine or nicotine or weed or you're stressed. It's interesting to watch as you bump out of REM or you go into slight awakenings during the night. And it really starts to make you reflect on what am I doing the night before? What am I doing the day before? You know, sometimes I've done sauna really close to bed and then actually jacked my heart rate up too much. My aura ring gives me a readiness score, how ready I am to work out. And then if it's very low, meaning I should rest because I've done a lot of activity and I haven't had a lot of rest. If I train hard that day, I noticed I sleep really shitty that night. So that's interesting too. You can also train or work out too much and that will exacerbate your sleep quality being worse as well. So very important. Track your sleep. Get it fucking dialed in. That is the first step to achieving any of this health, wellness, and fitness lifestyle. All right, guys. Thank you for being here. Leave a five-star review. Like, subscribe, follow. Hit me up if you have any questions. Instagram and TikTok. Bodies by Rent, ATX, or Bodies by Rent on TikTok. I will see you next week.